Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Back with an all new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm birthday boy Louis Fertel. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's Louis's birthday. He's turning 86, guys, which <laughs> makes him the same age as like Shirley MacLaine. That's <laughs> okay. Um, uh, happy birthday, Louis. And my name is Aida Osman. <laughs> Thank you, Aida. Yes, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to say happy birthday to you, bitch. I know. It was coming, too. I had a whole thing. I was going to commend you, but here you go. Truly was coming. You couldn't wait. Nope. Nope. And now you've ruined it. I know you hate astrology, but you are more and more Leo every time you speak. I'm just saying. That is not untrue. No, no, no. I accept my fate. And again, I have the Leo condition of believing Leo is the only sign that means anything. So I know astrology is a little bit true. I'm turning 34 and my references are turning 175. So enjoy. But happy birthday to our white prince, second only to Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> oh, wow. You're right. I like being a runner-up to him. That's it. I have a lot of other white princes. Oh, really? Maybe that's part of the problem. See? <laughs> you need to cut off some white princes. I'm going to say, you need to come to the red table to talk about the white prince problem in your life. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, for your birthday, I'm going to re- be replaying that viral video of you on Jeopardy like for 10 hours straight. I was talking with Aida about that video earlier when I was on Jeopardy, got a daily double snapped. I would like to say like, oh, what a kitschy moment you caught of me on camera. Actually, no, nothing could be more telling about me. It literally is definitive of who I am. Just keep watching uh, that. Yeah. The competitiveness, the narcissism, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's the confidence I crave and wish I had. You know what I'm going to do, Aida? I'm going to send you some YouTube links to Lewis's old video series. Oh, that Adam Rippon brought up, Verbal Voguing. Yes. yes. You'll, you'll learn about- It was called Verbal Voguing? Verbal Voguing, child. The, the gayness jumped out. <laughs> if I were to host that show now, might not call it Verbal Voguing, whatever. Maybe. But you will see, <laughs> Aida, you will see Aida Osman. In terms of um, profanity and quote-unquote going there, maybe our brands overlap more than you think. Okay, Louis. I really yeah. want to see that. I want the perversion. I want it. <laughs> she really His did light hair. up just now. It was frightening. Yeah. His hair at that point, too, was a marvel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed it like literally was like Newton's fourth law, the way it defied gravity and physics yes. and all types. So like, I need to understand how you got it to be that high. I really I did a Jimmy Neutron thing for a long, long time. So. You really did. Yeah. And it was him talking about pop culture and you know making snappy comments and many of the references that he makes now. But more, more, more wild. I, Lewis is toned down. Thank God. Thank God we have Keep It so we can temper him and tone him. Because <laughs> this is like, right. you just free-range Lewis? No. Well, <laughs> yeah, you're getting adult contemporary Lewis right now. Before, yes. it was yeah. like gritty R&B Lewis. Yeah. yeah. And he's bouncing off black people with sense. See? <laughs> with sense. With sense. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping me in line. 
I feel like you were still making those videos when I met you. Yeah, I did it. I only did like 12 or 13 of them, but I probably did it well into 2012. So I think I knew you then. Yeah, that makes sense. But that was the reason anything happened to me. I was like a blogger at a bunch of places that don't exist anymore. And then I started making videos. And then I got on like Chelsea Lately. And then I wrote for Billy on the Street. And now I'm here with you guys. Delivered to listeners. (laughs) Delivered. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we have an exciting episode just for Lewis's birthday. Truly. Yes. We have uh, Bob the Drag Queen joining us. A uh, legend. I watched that season with bated breath every week. He was constantly hilarious. In a way that, in a way, few queens are on the show, I hate to say. Like, really, truly consistent. Maybe you can show Bob some of your verbal voguing videos. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he's See quite familiar. I'm kidding. There's no way he's familiar. <laughs> they were also formative to him uh, as a queer <laughs> youth, just like Adam Riplot. <laughs> <laughs> also we're going to get into this ellen business (laughs) if she still has one if she still has an ellen business (laughs) also there are layers to this like the versions of exposés that have come out each one deserves its own repulsed reaction (laughs) there have been updates within the hour too so i might have to be googling while we record there are things coming out yeah um we may just have to launch a keep it ellen edition where every day there's a daily update to what's going on with Ellen DeGeneres. We can call it Ellen Not So Generous. Mm. There we see. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Executive <laughs> producer Aida Osman. <laughs> <laughs> but before that, we're going to talk about some culture, including Black is King from mm-hmm. The Beyonce. We'll be right back. Gods of music have blessed us with much to discuss this week. Who have we been listening to, y'all? Before we get into what I've been watching nonstop, which is Black is King. Mm. Nonstop, girl. Okay, well, we will get into that. But right now, I mean, I can't not mention Brandy's new album that I've been playing on absolute repeat. Yes. B7. B7. It's so good, bro. It's so amazing. It's just, I've never had a laughing attack to a name of a track, but her last track, Bye Bipolar, killed me. (laughs) Absolutely killed me. Absolutely killed me. Baby Mama with Chance the Rapper. Chance needs to chill, but Baby Mama is a wonderful song. Borderline, beautiful track. Everything was just so wonderful. And I mean, Brandy Mm -hmm. has been making music since she came out of the womb, but (laughs) watching her mature into this mother, woman, goddess that she is, I... Love this track, love this album, love everything about B7. Also, I will say Bye Bipolar, which sounds like a gimmick track when you hear the title, (laughs) is my favorite song on the album. It really is. She also has a very interesting history of being articulate and super explicit about things that are happening to her. She has a song, Ira, help me out here. I think it's on Aphrodisiac, where she talks specifically about whether or not she should stay in the music business and is just literally weighing the options. <laughs> She's like, should I go? Should I go? Should I go is the name of the song. Yeah, should I go? Very The Clash. Very London Brandy Calling. Atlanta Calling. <laughs> <laughs> it's her final track on Aphrodisiac as well. Yes, She yes. listened. Those final tracks on a Brandy album will 
give you something to chew on. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I actually really, really enjoy B7. Although I don't like the video for Borderline mm-hmm. where she is in like a psych ward uh, wrapped up in a straight jacket. I was like, this feels very uh, TRL 2001. Yes. Drive myself crazy in sync. That's what you're yes. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know how much I trust Brandy to handle issues like this in the way that like they need to be yes. multifaceted and textured. But she did give the girls something to eat. <laughs> she really yeah, did. She, she, I mean, she gave us more than an amuse-bouche, okay? <laughs> you know, there, there's an entree. <laughs> Padma, that is enough. Thank Aperitives. you. <laughs> what I really enjoyed, too, is just spending this week diving back into Brandy's discography. My best friend who got me into Sufjan the past few weeks, um, I've been getting him into Brandy. Yes. This white-black trade-off. I know, the Silk Road of music. The color of friendship. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, because it was prompted, too, by remembering that old Solange tweet about Brandy. Do you remember oh, them? Wow. She was going off on white indie music critics, and she said, "Right." So, this was in 2013. She said, some of these music blogs could actually benefit from hiring people who really understand the culture of R&B to write about R&B. Mm-hmm. Like, you should really know about Brandy deep cuts before you give a grade or a score to any R&B artist. Mm-hmm. And then three years later, she followed it up with, last few days has brought up so much emotion, recalling when it was made a joke by indie white guys that I brought up Brandy album cuts. When, to be honest, don't you ever dare speak that six-letter name without understanding the value. The <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> the blasphemy. <laughs> I mean, true. She is called in the game, like, the vocal Bible. Um, Brandy mm-hmm. is fantastic and i included on the playlist the songs that you would know like you know best friend um almost doesn't count i want to be you know but i also have like where you want to be you know like um so sick Mm -hmm. um piano man you know like i've really been getting into 2011 this past week that really underrated album of hers yeah the one that has that meme of her um (laughs) on 106 in park where uh they give everyone in the audience a free um, album, and she <laughs> says, but we need the audience to buy the album. <laughs> and, and she looks panicked. Like, this is all on time. It's also been a joy having Moesha back on TV. Oh, oh please, girl. yeah. It hit Netflix, and I've been watching it, and if you haven't seen it, you should watch it and early keep it. I'll just say keep it to the very boomer mentality of older people complaining about young people watching like Moesha for the first time and pointing out that like there's fat phobic jokes in it you know like maybe there is some like misogyny in some of these jokes I'm like I promise people discovering Moesha is not going to ruin the show for you Mm -hmm. yeah just revel in the fact that we're getting anti Cheryl Lee Ralph back in the conversation you know please please also she ruined her own show sorry spoiler alert the last season Cheryl Lee Ralph left because Brandy and her mom got executive producer control of the show, and then they introduced a plot line where um, Frank, the dad, had a son out of wedlock from his previous marriage, and Ray J played that kid, and Shirley Ralph reportedly hated that storyline and what they did to that character and the family that she's only recurring in the final season. Upsetting. You know too much, first of all. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know too much. <laughs> you really, truly know too much. Call me a Hitchcock film. (laughs) (laughs) 
The only film he remade, yes. I will never mm-hmm. underestimate what the Norwoods have done for every facet of pop culture, whether it's music, TV, just absolutely obsessed. Ray J and Kim Kardashian. Ray J. Like, the Norwoods are the blueprint of everything. for pop culture. Kings <laughs> of the porn industry, of every industry. And I also frustrating that people would go on Twitter and warn us about, like warn younger generations who maybe didn't grow up seeing Moesha as if we don't have a context of the times and it just kind of inflates this idea that we are just exaggerating our our issues with real problems in writing and pop culture if anything we're smarter than like say that gone with the wind conversation with people <laughs> yeah. like needing a disclaimer before watching a movie like that and knowing like oh this movie's racist like we can watch back and know some of these jokes and things are like fucked up but we can also still enjoy it and keep it moving i'm gonna say we're still watching friends right, right. uh they got yeah. it right. <laughs> Um, I just want to add also that when I was in high school, the big Brandy song was "What About," yeah. which is one of the few songs uh-huh. I can, which is one of the few songs I can think of that I thought was so annoying, and then I heard it enough times, and then it became good. That's my oh. feeling about that song. Mm. I will also point out that when you play "What About Now," it sounds completely modern. Mm-hmm. Yes, in a I way know, that I agree. it sounded annoying and like electronic back then, um, but now it sounds exactly where music sort of went, and I feel like she. Um, anticipated a lot of stuff like that. I mean, Aphrodisiac, a perfect album, has like Coldplay samples, and then she has her other song, mm-hmm. I Tried, where she mentions Coldplay, and I credit Brandy with me becoming a Coldplay fan. Yeah, speaking wow. of indie white men, <laughs> maybe some maybe some <laughs> do like Brandy. Yeah, I've just, Brandy, growing up, I would play her out. Like, my mother would be sick of her. Just me trying to get all the little runs and try and make myself sound exactly like Brandy. She really is, like we said, the vocal Bible. Like, I studied her bibliomantically every day. Even today, I don't really go nowhere without playing I Want to Be Down. Because mm. every day, bitch, I want to be down. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> the feel of that song. I mean, that's just, a, it's, it's an era of... R&B I miss you know like back and forth by Aaliyah this, that kind of like easy mm-hmm. party it just, I just really enjoy that yeah kickback R&B music mm-hmm. like right now R&B music is I mean it's still great like you know Kalani's album um, Janae Aiko's album mm-hmm. um, you know but those those are more chill and um, ethereal fairy yes there, there's like, like a transcendent quality to the relaxingness of it yeah. Um, Lexapro uh, music. Give me warmth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to be sedated. Come on. <laughs> That's your book. Uh, Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Executive producer Aida and author. <laughs> uh, Beyonce, I'm coming for the crown. Um, yes. Well, speaking of Beyonce, mm-hmm. you know, she did drop. Black is King, the visual album to The Gift, her um, Lion King uh, compilation soundtrack. And, you know, it is her and a bunch of African artists on it. Um, If you remember when it dropped, um, she's only on a few of the songs and is really sort of just like highlighting um, different artists from Africa. And it was in conjunction with the release of The Lion King. And we sort of just thought it was, oh, here's just an album from B, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, But now here comes this whole visual component to it. And um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I will actually say that it is... Not lemonade for me. Oh yeah, so, it is not um, lemonade. My my enjoyment of it is much lower. That I, I understand. Um, to be honest, but I did enjoy it. If only because, 
Lemonade prepared you for what this is. Like, we already know what a mm-hmm. visual album looks like from her now. And this is basically, if you had it described to you, you could kind of guess what it would be. It really is highlighting a lot of different African artists. It really has the majesty of a live action Lion King in certain ways. Like, just looking at water, for example, you know, just like mm-hmm. there's like a lot of moody, atmospheric, nature looking things going on. That said, Lemonade was also very intent on giving you the songs. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's not really a standout track here. Yeah, I would say if I had to pick one, it's Brown Skin Girl. Mm. But other than that, I here's what I think about Black is King. Y'all know I was excited. We talked about it a couple weeks ago on Keep It, and I probably broke my Apple TV remote trying to play it when when Disney Plus actually put it up. But I think, girl, it does too much. It does too much. Too many visuals, too many sequins. Don't know what the hell it's supposed to be about. I know what it's about in its essence. It's about the Lion King. Yes. But it's also muddled. Very much so. Throughout the entire thing, I kept being like, is she alive? Is she dead? Like, what is the story? Narratively? Is the baby Moses? What it Like, they needed, like, a uh, story editor. Someone to just, like, this is how we get from A to B. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but great gowns. Gowns, <laughs> 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 truly. A lot of it, too, is imagery that we're not familiar with because it's from Yoruba culture or it's Nigerian culture and a lot of it is Easter eggs. So I'm going to have to go back and watch it a million times to understand how she's subverting all this imagery and trying to make strong claims. But it's not readily visible when I watch Black is King the first time. Yeah. What I would actually say is, unfortunately, I don't feel like there's much subversion going on in Black Mm. is King, actually. Um, I feel like it is, you know, a beautiful adornment um, in a rich tapestry of cultures. Although... It was pointed out that a lot of the designers are white. Knew um, it. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was in the New York Times um, piece on it. But I would say that a lot of it is just, you know, like repurposing this idea of, you know, like inherited royalty um, for black people. You know, that's a thing that's also on the song Crown, I believe, on um, Magna Carta, Holy Grail. Of Jay-Z's, which is then repurposed onto Beyonce's Flawless. Uh, the idea that, you know, like, black people were descended from kings and queens, you know, and, like, slavery and um, the diaspora um, ripped so much of this lineage from us. And um, Damon Young from Very Smart Brothers, like, sort of um, articulated how I've always felt about that in a piece recently, just this idea that, like, listen... We didn't all come from royalty. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Like, just statistically speaking, <laughs> we did not. If you yeah. put the chart together. Nor yeah. did yeah. we all come from Africa. And, <laughs> like, this very specific. Yeah. Also, the fact that, like, do we want to have all come from royalty? Because royalty in general is just not really a good thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And it's not merit-based. It's, it's birth-based. And, you know, it's like maybe there were some good people in the context of um, rule. But, you know, like... Girl, we know Jay-Z. For the most part, people of the ruling, ruling class were probably not great. Surely. And, like, <laughs> we know Jay-Z's a hotep. We know that about him. Like, we, that's undeniable. And I think that the only thing that I was saying when I think that it subverted some imagery... There was a very specific song and this is again speaks to the problem about black is king i don't know what the song is called but it's the one where they're celebrating black hair and they have black men in the old constitutional wigs that were worn by Mm -hmm. the judges in like um, american revolution 
times. And that's the only time that I think that she was really very easily trying to get at something that I, I felt like I could grasp at. But other than that. I could also say Brown Skin Girl, too, you know, because that has the, like, the cotillions, which is very reminiscent of Jack yes. and Jill, which historically, uh, especially if you read Margot Jefferson's Negro Land, um, historically has just been sort of about like black people who could pass the paper bag test. Um, <laughs> so. You know, really sort of highlighting brown skin girl, mm -hmm. you know, with that imagery is also a subversion. But, you know, I mean, like the a lot of the other stuff was just like adornment in um, high fashion and, you know, like uh, like Mood Forever. One of my favorites of it is, you know, like this mansion and, you know, it's got this like 1940s style swimming scene and, you know, like old Hollywood. Oh, right. I'm like that, that is great. And I also loved power. Um, I will say the one thing that she really did is introducing me to new artists, yes. which is the point of this. It's very about decentering her mm -hmm. herself. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had never really listened to Yumi Alade before and I love listening to her music now. You know, mm -hmm. I was introduced to her on No Jealous Me and Power um, and that, I think, if the intent is to introduce her audience of black listeners to other artists from Africa, you know, like this Nigerian artist, like, I think then her job was done. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have that personal story intent that um, Lemonade had and, honestly, that Homecoming had, which I think was actually I love even more than Lemonade, you know, because Homecoming is a narrative of the concert, but also what it took to get her to there, and so it had a built-in narrative. This one felt a lot like Life is Beautiful, which I felt like was a documentary that was um, also muddled mm -hmm. um, and sort of a mess. Uh, we, can, we can fully admit that now. One thing I will <laughs> say about it being having some personal moments is when she brought in Kelly Rowland, and it wasn't just like, here's Kelly Rowland, but here's basically a tribute to Kelly Rowland, that I thought mm. was very, very cool. Love seeing, of course, Lupita. Imagine Lupita not like being radiant in something like Naomi. this. Naomi, yes. Yes, Naomi. And bl guys, yeah. Blue Ivy but, is here. She is grown yeah. and ready to go and ready to perform. Like, she is here, here. I'm very excited about it all. I, I would say the only thing that quote unquote took me out of it was that I don't find the movie The Lion King to be wise. So when there are like snippets from the movie, I'm not taking much from it, especially when out of nowhere I hear Billy Eichner's voice in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Eichner took me out of Black as King. I'll say. <laughs> That's a man I gossip with about Ava Gardner. And here he is now, <laughs> Black as King. Yeah, the, the snippets of Lion King were really not it for me. And I get that it is a Disney um, production yeah. and is, you know, I get that, you know, like she was probably given all this money to make Black as King, you know, because of this Lion King connection. But the Lion King stuff takes me out of it. Also, just like sort of Lemonade, she uses Warsan's poetry again, mm -hmm. but it also just didn't really fit for me in this story the way that it did in Lemonade. Yeah. You know, um, it felt more personal in Lemonade. I really feel like Black is King did what it needed to do within the confines of what she was given and what she was intending to do. Yeah. But I ha have to mention the no name of it all only because there is this strange thing that's occurring now in an, in an effort to find our roots and to understand blackness. All the black rich people are like Mansa Musifying themselves and trying mm. to Africanize themselves beyond what I think is comfortable to watch. It is very ironic for me to see Black is King that has themes about water and how rich Africa is. And in that same 
night, I'm trying to WhatsApp my cousins in Africa to make sure that their dictator has plumbing on in the country. That You know, like there are so many. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting that Disney Plus isn't offered in Africa. Who's going to see that? Who's going to see that over there? Mm. Um, Wi-Fi is scarce. There are so many contradictions that are inherent in making this thing at all. But I understand in that same vein that I'm happy it was made. And I'm happy that a lot of black women and little black girls get to see how beautiful and how beautifully done that this project is. My also response to that, though, of the no name of it all is like, we're sort of in this place, you know, where everyone wants to, yes, you know, like black wealth just is capitalism, you know, like black wealth isn't liberation, these sort of conversations. But I also like would say that um, that's a lot of things in just popular culture in general. And there's always this like nagging sense of like focusing on Beyonce, which I think No Name does too much, to be honest. And when hip hop culture in general and so many other things like are about the um, propagation of wealth, you know, like you, you can listen to any sort of song and it's about like even a Megan song, you know, it's about like yeah. my bank account, you know, things like that. You know, it's like that's just the culture that we have inherited within that music that some people subvert and some people don't. And I just think mm -hmm. that there's a way to spread the wealth in the criticism that isn't always focused on Beyonce. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say that um, I've always enjoyed when she does that in a sense because the thing that I enjoy the most about Beyonce projects is when she sort of subverts gender um, and has like her King B yeah. personality, you know, like when she had bowed down and stuff. It was like her existing in this male-dominated world um, and giving you some sort of gender-flipped mm -hmm. resonance. Um, unfortunately, there's not really much of that in this because, because it's Disney um, and it's fitting the Lion King story. It's very patriarchal in nature, yeah. Um, yeah. which that is also what I found a little disappointing. And by the way, you are on record as saying you don't like the song If I Were a Boy, but you are right about it. <laughs> so I'm going to allow you to keep it. It's a bad song! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. When we're back... Bob the Drag Queen. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Our guest today is a champion, a comedian, and an activist. And after winning season eight of Drag Race, is now 
on the Emmy-nominated and recently renewed We're Here on HBO. Hi, Bob the Drag Queen. Hi, how are you? We're good. It's so great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Bob, I was saying at the beginning of the podcast that you were one of the few drag queens who on, on RuPaul's Drag Race who, from the minute you stepped on, the comedy was so in place and so did not need to, quote-unquote, mature. Like, you just kept it up throughout the entire season. And I always wonder if you were self-conscious of the fact that I feel like a winning narrative on Drag Race is always that you really saw the improvement from week to week when, in fact, you were just so consistent. Did you ever worry, like, oh, I have to, like, make a show of, quote-unquote, getting better at what I'm doing? I always tell people, if you're going to do a competition, the best thing you can do, especially if it's on TV, is just try to win and try to play with integrity. Mm -hmm. But if you try to, like, create a story or or emulate something you've seen already, it's, you're really gonna have a hard time on a rude awakening. Wendy Pepper, season one of Project Runway, that was her downfall as far as I'm concerned. Thank you for putting your, <laughs> putting your finger on it. <laughs> you know what? Not someone Wendy. Had to, <laughs> someone had to say it, calling out Wendy Pepper right now. <laughs> this is this is the, the podcast is gonna bring down Wendy Pepper. She deserves it. And by the way, she passed away. So I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm I'm not upending anything. Yes. Attacking dead people, Lewis. <laughs> really fighting the good fight. And you know, we, we we got some we're coming after uh Dave Thomas next. <laughs> I, got a, I got a bone to pick up at my spicy chicken sandwich, Dave. <laughs> The crazy thing about Dave Thomas is that he had other daughters, but only one that he named a restaurant chain after. It concerns yeah. me. Is all we don't I'm know saying. about Wendy's chicken sandwiches are famous, but we don't know much about Amanda's much less popular uh, chicken pot pie company. Right. Because people weren't interested in those. And then his son, Brandon, had a um, burrito company. Right. No one. Brandon's and Amanda's did not thrive, but Wendy. She came through. Mm -hmm. You know, chicken pot pies are just really hard to, like, get through the drive-thru. Right. It's shaky. Exactly. Right. Think of the consistency of one. Yes. I understand. And his wife had a whole sheet cake. It was a whole thing. The whole family. <laughs> Wendy came through. Though. I'm proud of Wendy. Uh, the thing I would say I really also enjoy about We're Here, which we talked about on the show recently, the idea that it is expanding this narrative of queer stories that are on TV oh, is yeah. very interesting watching it in contrast to say like a queer eye which has been about historically from the original queer eye just like showing straight people you know like this is what queer people can be like and what they can do for you and they can also help you know you design your um, kitchen um, but this has been you all finding queer people in small towns who are living lives not dissimilar from the ones that we have in bigger cities but they got some other shit going on, you know? Like, they're walking yeah. past Trump-Pence signs, you know? Yeah, and Confederate flags and all that stuff. And that's no mm -hmm. shade to Queer Eye. I think Queer Eye, especially Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, the original, was a landmark mm -hmm. show for queers and really helped people see queers for who we are. And I thank Carson Kressley and the entire cast and Jay and everyone mm -hmm. for that show all the time because it, it quite frankly paved the way for shows that tell queer stories like RuPaul's Drag Race, like We're Here, like uh, Pose. I believe that that show helped with the queer show that, that tell queer storylines. Mm -hmm. No, it reminds me a lot of when I think Joe Biden had mentioned that um, it was watching Will and Grace that sort of like, helped people around him sort of like realize, oh, 
gay people, like they're yeah. real people, you know, that and queer coming into people's homes. I mean, if that's real to them, then that's real to them. You know what I mean? If that's their truth, then mm-hmm. that's their truth, honey. And I'm right here to say, Will and Grace didn't do that for you. I know I love Will and Grace as a child. I know that I, mm. I related to Will and Grace with uh, friends at school and my, and my mom would watch it together with me. Mm-hmm. So when you're going into these towns um, and you're meeting queer people who are, you know, like in these small towns where they're dealing with all of that stuff, what is that like even addressing, you know, someone who you're like, yes, this person like maybe likes the same pop culture as me, maybe has the same conversations with their friends. I think there was that one episode too where that kid who was having the trouble with his mom um, was really sort of like kicking with like his black gay friend there too and the other queer friends at that one restaurant. And it was just like seeing how... Oh, it was in uh, Louisiana, Ruston, Louisiana. It was Shangela's uh, person that was hosting. Yeah, <laughs> it was nice seeing, you know, like these communities that are existing in these other cities. But, you know, like how do you even go in and approach like talking to someone someone first um just when you're first meeting these people on the show i mean there's i don't know there's a whole science to it i just kind of introduce myself the way i would introduce myself to anyone i would just say hi how are you my name is bob and then i talk about what what we're doing here and that's how i was working with stacy who is a a former firefighter like a retired firefighter um and i don't overcomplicate it i just say hi and introduce myself i think that's where you get you have an opportunity to really um, get in your head too much because a lot of people think that we're going to these towns to help people. Like our goal is to go in and like help these people, but it's really just to uplift their voices so they can continue helping their communities. It's not about us, these Hollywood saviors coming in and saving this town. It's just about us relating to people who have something in common with us and amplifying their voices. One thing that the show dives into, obviously, lightly is a lot of the... Um political stuff that goes on, you know, in these cities. How do you feel, you know, as a queen now, especially in a world where, you know, we are asking um, more people in pop culture to be more politically knowledgeable, specifically drag queens, you know, I feel like black ones, you know, obviously are always talking about these things. But, you know, how has it been for you navigating this um, as someone who's come from drag race? Well, I mean, I've always been political with my drag, so that doesn't seem new to me. Um, I do think that people are waking up, becoming more woke mm-hmm. to a lot of the injustices that their fellow citizens go through every single day. And I think that what's happening is, like, once the sheet's pulled away, you can't put it back. You know what I mean? People are seeing things for the first time. And I think people who like have been political for a long time, the reason why they've been political for so long is because they know they've seen too much and now they can't go back to ignoring things. What's your favorite way about the show has evolved or uh, maybe hasn't evolved? I wish that we could see a, a bigger diversity across the gender spectrum in its casting. I'm not interested in also in joining in the erasure of all the amazing trans people and non-binary people who have been on RuPaul's Drag Race mm-hmm. because we have some amazing people like Stacey Lane Matthews, Pepper Mint, um, Chickley Caliente, Kenya Michaels, some really amazing trans women also, as well as non-binary people, myself, Shea Coulee, Sasha Valour, Aja, across the gender spectrum. So there has been that, and I don't want to engage in that erasure, but I wish that the stigma wasn't on the brand in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to see that... Um, some of the things that people have come to with concerns have been addressed. You know, when they uh, changed the ooh girl, she got she male. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that's not still there. And I would like to see more of that. 
you brought up Peppermint, and you two, you know, have your show together, which I really enjoyed watching. And then you've obviously had viral moments, you know, like the fracking joke um, moment <laughs> between you two. But, like, have people reached out who maybe are other queens asking, like, maybe how they can get involved recently or just, like, better ways that they can be allies to other black queens who've been on the show? Because I oh. feel like talking about the pulling back People are starting to realize, you know, that like the fan base even treats black and white queens differently. There was a moment uh, maybe uh, in the two weeks following George Floyd's death where I was getting a call or text per day asking me what to do. And I was like, this too much. It was like, (laughs) I can't tell every I can't tell every white person what to do and how to <laughs> solve their I was like, you got at some point y'all are gonna have to do research. You're gonna have to because I can't I can't I literally can't even. So yeah, lots of folks have been reaching out asking what to do. And I was like, but the thing is you know, like you know. You just you just want me to tell you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been one of the whole things about this current era. You know, obviously there are people whose job it is to enlighten people i've always said that you know like on this show when we talk about issues you know i'm saying it because i want people to learn something um but there's also people who just don't know that we all have the same google mm-hmm. you know yeah, true. <laughs> are there things that don't get into the episode on we are here that obviously you're fitting it into just an hour's show but what hits the cutting room floor that you wish got into the show more if anything I mean, we shoot for nine days, and we then do a one-hour episode. So most of the stuff is on the cutting room floor. I don't remember missing anything, being like, oh, why didn't they show that? Um, In the first episode, we shot for 15 days. It was our pilot. Mm. So we did so much stuff that didn't make it in there. One of my favorite moments was we we went to this, um, like, do you know a living historian? There are these people who like kind of live like they did back in the days. Oh, yeah. So there, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are these living historians, these ladies who run this house in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. We went in there and there's like, if you go to one of these historical houses, you can like go in, but then there's like roped off right at the door. So you can't actually go in and touch stuff. So there's this one room that we go to and the lady was like, we never do this, but we'll we'll let you all see what's in here. So he undid the little velvet rope, and we all went in. We went around. Then the first stop, she goes, and this quilt is about 200 years old. Mm. It is the pride and joy of our establishment, and we cannot believe that we are the ones lucky enough to have it. And we all just keep walking, except Shangela. Shangela stays back, and she's admiring this quilt. And we're all looking at something else, like a chair or a table. And behind us, we just hear... And we're like, what? What? And Shangela has knocked down this 200-year-old quilt after the ladies made such a big deal of how like remarkable and delicate it was. And for the rest of the tour, I was just like, like mortified is the only word I can use to describe how I felt. Mortified. Mortified. What the fuck did she do? I don't like throw herself. According at her? to her, all she did was touch it, but none of us were looking. It was just Shangela. So according to Shangela, all she did was like. T- First of all, why would you even touch this? Qu- the lady said it was hundreds of years old. Why are you touching this lady's quilt? That was wild. That is like the people who have the need to touch a thing in a museum. I've never gotten it. Well, I will say that what I do have a need in the museum is if you go to the um, the Met. When you get close to a piece, it just it goes beep. 
<laughs> Not yeah. if, you, if you just get too close, it goes beep. And I remember being in the Met thinking to myself, like, I want to get beeped once. I want to just be beeped at least one time <laughs> while I'm here. And I got beeped twice, so I felt pretty good. <laughs> I've never, I've never beeped. I don't think, but I've definitely had the ones where like the security guards are like extra watchful. And you're looking at something, and they're like, "Hey, I love that. I'm like, into I'm that. Not, I'm not Pierce Brosnan. I'm not. I'm not here <laughs> to steal a painting. I think I got beeped on a Georgia O'Keeffe. If it was a Georgia O'Keeffe house call, it should have moved when you got close to it. That it should have, but it. <laughs> it was. It was one of the. It was one of the vaginal paintings. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. love those. Love those. <laughs> I feel like I did not know what they were in school but i'm from milwaukee and like there were constant in like my elementary school like paintings of like georgia o'keefe's around they're like well ira this Um, is one of our amazing pussy pussy paintings we have on our wall (laughs) you know how there's read posters in most high schools we have georgia o'keefe posters that just say pussy on them pussy 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 posters Uh, but speaking of museums and shit like you are a person who is um for most people part of their pop culture you know like we watched you on the show when we think about culture and things we watch like you are heavily involved in it what is the stuff that you like to consume like what what feeds you where you're like this is art that's inspiring me or stuff that you like to watch that you're just like Whatever, it's just me watching this on yeah, Saturday. And I love art, but I love like trash and stuff <laughs> too. Like recently I've been really obsessed with this series, this genre of YouTube, and is YouTubers doing videos about other YouTubers. And I mm. cannot stop watching them. <laughs> One of my favorite challenges is this kid named Premink, and Premink never shows his face. And he just does videos about other YouTubers, specifically if they're problematic mm. or if they have it out with their fans. And I don't know, it's just so intriguing to me. Like I'm obsessed with it. I just I watch hours and these videos are like 40 minutes long, and I watched like three in a row. They're great. We talked about one recently, like Who? Tati Westbrook. Do you yeah. know her? Do I know Tati? Listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, I actually don't watch the videos of the YouTubers. I only watch the videos about the YouTubers, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so I'm not really yeah. familiar with Tati Westbrook's work. I'm just familiar with her drama because I was mm-hmm. so intrigued by this whole James Charles thing and how in the beginning he can't—he was really not doing well. But who would have predicted that a year later he would come out smelling like fucking roses? Like who <laughs> would have assumed that he could be deep in all this shit and come out smelling like fucking Estee Lauder perfume, you know? <laughs> no, I totally agree, by the way. Like, I don't think I could sit through a Toddy Westbrook video or whatever, but underneath that video every time are like 50 minute responses that are like meticulously crafted, seemingly by like somebody who understands television. Like they know I'm continuing to pay attention even though I don't literally know who she is. It's, it's, it's a it's, shocking That's what world. it is. It's so interesting. But these documentaries, these little documentaries or these little tell-alls, they tell you who they are and then tell you why they are how they are. So you get the whole, it's like watching Feud. You don't have, <laughs> you don't have to actually watch every single Joan Crawford and um, Betty Davis movie. But if you watch Feud, you get caught up real quick in like eight episodes. So people should watch Feud for Judy Davis. Yes. <laughs> um, well, also, uh, uh, what's her name who just passed away? Olivia de Havilland, mm. who mm-hmm. passed away at 104 anyway. 
Well, I mean, she's not in it, but it's about her. Anyway, I also, outside of the smut, I do really get interested in watching documentaries, and I've been intrigued. I think that either Netflix and uh, Hulu and all those things either know that I'm watching or they're just all pushing their black social awareness content to the front because it's always there for me. And I watch, I watch all of it. Like I watch all of it. Thirteenth is still my favorite one. Also, have you have you seen When They See Us? Yeah. Oh yeah. The fact that When They See Us did not sweep the Emmy Awards last year is the oddest thing. I've. It is probably one of the best scripted shows I've seen ever. Top three for sure. Well, the title I guess was. Appropriate. Right. They have not seen it yet. Exactly. When yeah. they see us, we, yeah, we're gonna then, get the Emmys. Then, then it'll get. Then it'll get some late Emmys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's brilliant. And there's two Ava DuVernay picks that I've just called yeah. up now. So. Oh right, yeah. I think Thirteenth yes. is my favorite thing she's done. I I didn't watch all of When They See Us, but Thirteenth uh, is also like the most information per minute in a documentary maybe ever, and you can consume it. Like it yeah. works out that way. Yeah. Lewis, you have to go. Finish this. It's only four episodes. You, you have to. No, I watched like the first episode. Yeah, I love what's uh, Jarrell Jerome, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's. Oh my god, you don't even know. You don't even know. You don't even know because that. Ooh, once they get to the the girl. Ooh, girl, that fucking. I think the third one gets you together. And Nisi Nash in it is Nisi fucking and John Leguizamo, and um and Isis King is so good. Mm -hmm. All faves. So I'm gonna make sure Lewis watches oh, yeah. CS. I will I will harass him each week. Mm -hmm. Though now you just mentioned <laughs> Nisi Nash and I feel like rewatching Getting On, which is one of the weirdest TV shows that ever existed and amazing. I didn't see that one. But listen, you, Lewis, you and I will uh get together on a Zoom. All right. Oh oh good. <laughs> a curated a Zoom sesh. Yes. <laughs> I think I might start doing uh like monthly black history uh movie and television, like a big Zoom party where people join us once a month to learn about like Black classics, but also the terrible ones too. Not just like the color purples and the beloveds, but we're going to watch Soul Plane. <laughs> Please love a Soul Plane moment. Do you know what is one of the you know it's one of the craziest black movies that I feel like people nowadays have not seen that goes underestimated in terms of its insanity is Mahogany. Oh, Mahogany is wonderful. Oh, Mahogany is such a Diana Ross is so great in that movie. But yeah, that's a. I'm also gonna watch. Uh, have people watch uh, Harlem Nights, which is, if you ever want to see Eddie Murphy in a fight scene with Della Reese, then <laughs> I read my mind. I love, I love Harlem Nights. Harlem Nights is a classic for me. Oh, and now you're going to shoot me in my pinky toe. That's one of my favorite lines. <laughs> and I would have people watch Vampire in Brooklyn. Oh, classic. <laughs> you know the scene where he walks into the church and yeah, and, the, and he starts smoking. And he goes, God damn! And then everyone just turns around because his pastor yelled, God damn. And then he goes, uh, God damn anyone who doesn't come outside. <laughs> Praise the Lord. One of my more embarrassing moments on this show is Angela Bassett was on, and I told her I love Vampire in Brooklyn. And her initial facial reaction was to look at me like, okay. <laughs> Why does she do like, that? I meant it though. I meant it though. Why does she look yeah. at you like that? Because I feel I feel like people don't tell her that often. I feel like people aren't going around telling Angela like Vampire in Brooklyn is it. <laughs> well, folks are probably telling Angela Bassett they love uh, what's love. She probably gets what's love got to do with it more than anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe a little music of the heart from people, right? Like me. Yeah, mm -hmm. I I saw yeah. Angela Bassett. I met Angela Bassett 
that kind of met her before I was on Drag Race. I did watch Happens Live and Angela Bassett, Kathy Bates, um, and a few other people from American Horror Story were, were there as well. Mm. And Angela Bassett is like, mm-hmm. Angela Bassett looks science fiction young, <laughs> to quote um, mm-hmm. First Wives Club. It's yes. bananas. No, it's like she has that death becomes her potion. For real. Like, looks flawless, smells moisturized. It doesn't make sense. Moisturized she has a flow. jar yeah. of, like, sad child tears in her basement that she drinks every morning. <laughs> <laughs> she has to. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch this interview of her. Um, I think it's when she was doing Mission Impossible. She's asked about her workout regimen. And oh, it's yeah. one of my mm. favorite yes. videos that has ever been seen. Work. Because she they ask what they ask what she eats and like what she does, and she goes on this whole like um thing about how like doesn't do yoga. She eats like Ezekiel bread. She talks about when she does her weight training. Like it is phenomenal. She lies. Angela She's Bassett like, diet. I won't tell you the truth. <laughs> I drink orphan blood twice a day. <laughs> I pray to, to Satan to maintain my youth and beauty, and then I sleep upside down like a bat in my mansion. <laughs> it wakes up like uh, Nosferatu every morning. <laughs> uh, Vampire in Brooklyn was a documentary. <laughs> exactly. That's what it was, actually. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you for being here, Bob. Oh, before you go, I'll tell you one quick story, which it kind of rivals okay. that one. So, do you know Mateo Lane? He's a dear friend of mine. He's a oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. popular queer comedian. He's one of my best friends. And um, he <laughs> he was on the red carpet for, like, Divas, VH1's Divas, and Vanessa Williams came up to him. And he said to her, like, oh, my God, I really love your Christmas album. And she goes, well, what's your favorite song? And he goes, I can't remember something. He was like, Little Drummer Boy. And she was like, I didn't sing Little Drummer Boy. (laughs) He goes, yes, you did. And she was like, no, I did not. And he was like, you sang Little Drummer Boy. And she was like, under no circumstances. So he's having this really intense moment with Vanessa Williams. But then he later found out, obviously, he was mistaken. He was thinking of someone else. Whoa. I did not expect that. I did not expect that. But imagine you look at, like, imagine you have Angela Bassett on your show and you accidentally say something like, oh, I loved you in the movie uh, Rat Race. And she's like, I didn't, I wasn't in Rat Race. (laughs) And, like, the chills that must run through your body. Also, the best Vanessa Redgrave track is Comfort Zone. He should have known that from the start. Come on. <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, Vanessa Williams. See, now I'm in on it. See, no. oh, now, now, you're on, now you're on Vanessa Williams' shit list, too. Vanessa Williams is never going to do Now she's never going to do this fucking podcast. Sorry. She's she going to pull out that knife. Like, <laughs> oh, and that's it's off. <laughs> I love Vanessa Williams. She's great. I, I saw her live once. If you go see her live, uh, she kept mentioning that she go that she went to Syracuse. Like she kept mentioning like over and over and over again that she went to Syracuse. Like it was like Yale. Like she was like, well, when I was at Syracuse, and I was like, girl, it's Syracuse. Like, like why you keep going on about Syracuse? It's so weird. Like she was like, when I went to Harvard, I was like, all right, go off. Whatever you brought up, says go off. <laughs> Uh, all right. Thank you so much, Bob. My pleasure. I'm glad we had that Vanessa Williams Kiki at the end. Y'all be safe. Guys, it's been a rough year going to get rougher and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet you could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst 
But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long into the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Well, she gonna have some trouble dancing her way out of this one. Girl, not dancing. <laughs> not dancing her way out of this one. Uh, also, the idea la- of literally dancing your way out of something, Truly. like out a door. Shuffle. <laughs> <laughs> Drop, can't stop the feeling, and watch, <laughs> and watch Ellen Jitterbug away from. <laughs> I cannot believe <laughs> The news this week, because BuzzFeed News last week published their second story in a month about rampant abuse and misconduct at Ellen DeGeneres' immensely popular talk show. These stories were shocking to absolutely no one at all, because we've heard many stories about her attitude and poor treatment of those beneath her and people who work with her. But these reports are very interesting in that they weren't just reports of you know, her being, like, mean to someone, right? Like that old report we heard of, like, her not being nice to a security guard. These were reports of black people at work saying that they faced just sort of, like, racial insensitivity and microaggressions. And then um, there are also reports about sexual misconduct from producers of hers with other employees. So... Seems like we got some real stuff going on here. I was going to say the first time there was an expose about like behind the scenes stuff. I mean, the racial stuff alone was horrifying, gross that anybody and especially in an environment where you're putting together a comedy like who wants to put together like a cheery show when you're dealing with that? It just it's it makes it impossible to do your job, I think. That initial piece also pointed out to me how hard it is to identify toxicity in a work environment because it wasn't all coming from Ellen. It was kind of coming from producers you know, are you corroborating this with other people? Do you have to? It just, to me, I felt for the people articulating what the problem was. Cause that's, I, I work on a talk show myself. And if, for instance, I think I knew who, in who in HR I would be able to go to, but it seemed like these people were confused about what even to do. And I was so thankful they had a reporter to report it to. Yeah. There's something to me that's so eerily suspicious about, and I get that it's daytime TV, but maintaining that level of like jubilant, all day, every day, and then me, I have to believe that you go home and are not a horrible person, or you to your staff, you're not a horrible person. It's just odd to me. And there is a also a level of how long has Ellen been doing this? For decades. There is an exhaustion, and she's, Ellen just needs to go. I'm not justifying her behavior. I'm just saying that it's suspicious. This is very suspect. Very suspect. And then fee-fi-fo-fum, here Portia come, talking about I stand by Ellen. <laughs> we know you stand by Ellen, girl. You sleep by Ellen. Like, that's just... <laughs> Lesbian redundance. Oh, God. Porsche, the Porsche de Rossi. The redundance, bro. Also, her Instagram post about it also had a horrible font um, with just this, like, blue background and the words, I stand by Ellen, um, written. And then, like, these hashtags, I stand by Ellen, I stand with Ellen DeGeneres. Hashtag stop bot attacks. As if <laughs> Ellen is being attacked by, by, by just bots. 
What? That was bewildering. That was a crazy response. Yeah. And also, by the way, I just want to point out an additional strange thing. When I went to Portia de Rossi's Instagram, her official description says former actress. I did not know that. I thought she was still among us doing her thing. I loved her on Better Off Ted. I do believe it's a loss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then also there's that odd thing that happened with Katy Perry where she defended her. Today, yes. yes this de- morning, Katy Perry is like, I... You know, I can't speak to these stories, but Ellen has always been very nice to me. You don't like, say. Yeah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> what? And even right Wouldn't now. Wouldn't it be weird if she weren't? Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Hart is tweeting the same shit. And it's like, do you guys not understand that like murderers have friends? <laughs> of course, Kevin Hart chimed in because I would say that part of this problem is the fact that she's come out to say nothing about the fact that, um, Employees have said that they were subjected to racist remarks like, I'm sorry, I only know the names of the white people who work here. Um, Or the fact that people were fired after taking medical leave or bereavement to attend family funerals. Or that one of her EPs, Kevin Lehman, you know, was accused um, by 36 former employees of asking if he could give them hand jobs or oral sex or, or grabbing PA's penises or groping productions assistants, you know, like. She has not really responded to any of this except for, like, just been hearing light Daily Mail stories, which who knows if you can believe that, about maybe she'd want to walk away. And it is so telling because if you recall that Kevin Hart situation was people reasonably being mad about him, you know, having homophobic jokes and simply wanting him to apologize for it. And he didn't apologize for it. And that's why he ended up not hosting the Oscars. But then he went on Ellen's show and they had this whole, like, rich, famous people sit down that was basically a conversation about, like, why should you have to apologize for anything? That was the thrust of it, right? So here you have a situation that now involves her, she doesn't want to apologize or even address it, seemingly. And its I think it's really shitty thing to do, you know? And I think it probably is a sign that those stories about her are true. And I say sign like I know they aren't fucking true. Like, like, yeah, they say, so, yeah. You know, we all have friends who have worked on Ellen. <laughs> Actually, we do. Something did bother me about, before BuzzFeed got into the picture, before it became an official news story, I do think there's something strange about posting a tweet to the world that's like, well, we all know how bad Ellen is, and then expecting strangers to chime in and fill in the blanks for everybody. Because by the way, I will just say in recent history, there was a similar line of Twitter-based revolt against a celebrity, which often ends up being necessary, not saying it's 100% a bad thing. One of the people who wrote a long response about how this one particular celebrity was terrible to them, I personally watched that celebrity get fired from a TV show for treating the host terribly. So it's not like everybody who's ever responded to this is necessarily, it's not vetted, it's all I can say. Like, we're treating this like Yahoo Answers, and it's actually <laughs> a, a, a serious oh, of course. story, you know? So just, I, I, I really appreciate when actual it becomes actual news with that's been vetted and reported. Mm-hmm. I also want to say about Twitter's response to this, there's been a lot of talk about who might quote-unquote replace Ellen. It's a syndicated show. I don't know if there would be technically a replacement, but people have been pretty facile about who will replace Ellen. And I just want to say, it is never in doubt that Ellen is phenomenally talented. Mm. So I just want to say, like, the hundreds of thousands of responses as if anybody can sit in a chair and do it, it is a grueling job. 
Ellen has the particular gift of being able to tell jokes in very few words with timing that is always surprising. Mm -hmm. Like, like even at its most basic, I do have to say I fucking laugh. She really has a gift for saying something strange and having like a quirky timing response that uh, uh, really takes me off guard and makes me laugh. So I just want to say, let's talk about who's going to replace her if in fact she leaves the show, but it's a serious serious talent level she has and i and i don't mean to paper over however yeah. she's treated people if if in fact no of course yeah. but in fact she actually is i think it was just announced this morning that she is coming back to host the 18th season after mm. we get coronavirus figured out so it might not even be a conversation that we have and it's actually unfortunate that the buzzfeed article and all the things that are coming out really did zilch to affect what was going to happen in the upcoming season. Well, I mean, she'll talk about it the way that she talked about the George Bush thing, right? You know, being like, talk around I'm yourself. friends with people across the aisle, you know, like really talking around it. Uh, I will say one of the wilder things about this, and maybe this is getting to what Portia was talking about with the hashtag bot attacks. <sighs> she unfortunately happens to be one of the people involved in the insane... QAnon conspiracy. Oh, girl, I'm trying not to talk about it, but let's go. I know, but it's like QAnon is this insane cult conspiracy of these people online who believe that there are a lot of high-profile celebrities who are doing, like, sex trafficking of minors. Like, Pizzagate was a thing that originated from it, and um, Donald Trump is going to save the world. Listen, there is plenty of reading that you could do on this. There's one piece of writing in the Atlantic that I would point you to. Um, It's called The Prophecies of QAnon. That sort of like spelled out the whole cultist nature of that whole conspiracy theory for me. But um, Ellen is one of these celebrities at the center of it. And so a lot of the responses too uh, are people being like, yeah, you know, take her down for like sex trafficking. And I'm like, those are being mixed in with the people talking about legitimate concerns. So that is insane to me. Um, but I think that Ellen is also smart enough to know that um, this entire thing is not um, being propagated by QAnon, you know? Mm-hmm. I would fucking think, my God. But you can read that article or you can DM me. I am a new recent <laughs> new recent Pizzagator and I do entertain the conspiracies, mostly for entertainment, but they're kind of fun. So DM me. Aida! <laughs> Q, Q Aida. Not Q you, Aida. <laughs> Q-Aida. Not you going Tracy Letts's bug I'm on gone. us right now, Girl. okay? <laughs> Girl, I'm gone. I'm gone. Come through. DMs is open. <laughs> uh, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Who's going first? We'll let Lewis go first. It's his birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Go thank ahead. you. Thank you. Uh, mine's Rail gonna, on them. Mine's going to be quaint and birthday themed this week, which is keep it to however I inherited the idea that your 20s are the best time of your life. I just want to say that I'm 34. First of all, my life is basically no different than when I was in my 20s. And also my life is better. Um, I don't know where that comes from. Like, if you're in your 20s, that's the only time you can be cast as a female lead in a Transformers movie. I don't know. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know what values we're um, propagating, espousing in that scenario. But I personally, in my experience, I don't think there's been a moment where life hasn't gotten better. I really, truly enjoy my friendships in my 30s. I enjoy having an actual ton of experience, both professionally and just 
you know, emotionally now. It's just, it's, it's a lovely time. I really recommend everybody getting older. It's, I, I, I enjoy it. Nothing has changed for me. I still have really good vision, by the way. Isn't that weird? I don't wear any glasses whatsoever. You wouldn't pick that for me, would you? Anyway, that's my keep it this week. <laughs> Happy birthday, Louis. Uh, keep it to youth. I understand. I love that. I can't wait to age and mature and like a like a fine fine wine a Pinot Noir mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get, of sorts. I hope I turn exactly into you know Jeremy Irons, the same neck, the same <laughs> accent. I want it all. Uh, well, okay, my keep it this week goes to someone who I feel like I'm consistently fed up with all the time, and at this point, I don't care. I don't care, and I don't like her, and I want that to be known. <laughs> I'm fed up. I'm at my wit's end. This is a grown woman. Doja Cat, I'm sick of you. It's over. Like, honey. Why are you tired of her now, girl? I know, but I've been, I've been holding out, Ira. I've been holding out because she's done hella sick. Like, every week it's a new Doja Cat thing that I have to listen to and deal with. And this week, Doja Cat has coronavirus. Really? Now, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yes. I thought Doja she recovered has- by now. <laughs> She's recovered, but honey, you you should have kept that little positive reading to yourself because now I'm mocking you. It's done. It's done. And I'm mocking her only because I remember at the top of this quarantine, at the top of the pandemic, Doja Cat was on live talking about it's just a flu. It doesn't matter. Like, drink some NyQuil. Go to bed. You're going to be fine. Now look at you. Mm. Now look at you, Doja Cat. You have coronavirus. Like, that is just cosmically hilarious. And I'm sorry. And I'll add it to the Rolodex of fuck shit that Doja Cat has been on. And look, I wish Moo never dropped. That's it. I mean that. So go ahead and cough your way to your little white supremacist tiny chats. Have fun. She should be glad she's not <laughs> laying there next to Herman Cain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Herman okay. Cain, doesn't that story feel like a distant memory already? And it's like I and know. it's bewilderingly, shockingly, insane, terrible. Yes. Even even wilder that he was fully laying up in a hospital bed, dying of coronavirus, and his team was sending out tweets still being like the, the Democrats are evil. Right. You're dying. You're literally on your deathbed. Oh, my God. Unthinkably awful. Unthinkable. It's just the wild part of Republicans always claiming that people are trying to politicize death like that semen jackal Tucker Carlson <laughs> right, yeah. um, mm-hmm. did when he was talking about uh, Obama politicizing John Lewis's death at his um, funeral, which, wow, imagine politicizing the death of a civil rights leader. <laughs> this is supposed to be for everybody. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's like, y'all were letting this black man die and still using his Twitter account to try and push out your racist ass message. Fuck all the way off. Tucker Carlson and his fucking Orville Redenbacher ass fashion can fuck off. I never want to hear that name again. (laughs) Well, you know what? Doja Cat does still continue to do what she needs to do on tracks like um, City Girls' Pussy Talk which is was truly my jam, <laughs> Aida. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. I mean, listen, Say So, look, Say So is amazing. <laughs> the Those In Your really, Eyes remix of The Weeknd. a beat machine. She's a songwriter, but she can go ahead and enter the ranks of the half a million cases that we have of coronavirus. Enjoy that. Hold True. that. And we've gotten, get, gotten to mention it on the show yet, but, you know, like, you can trade in some Doja Cat listening for Flo Millie's album, mm. which is Please, truly it. Please, our queen, Flo Sendant. 
Flo walk around Sengen. like that bitch. Hey, by the way, we're also <laughs> allegedly getting new Robin too. Isn't this such a crazy time for dance music? Like every gay icon is turning. I truly expect like Judy Garland featuring Aaliyah to happen any second. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> Featuring Aretha. You think it won't. Yeah. Uh, my keep it this week is to um, keep it regular at this point. Terry Crews. Mm. <laughs> A legend of this genre. Yes. Our house house nigga. <laughs> the people who are in constant rotation on this show, it's, it's very funny because I feel like that week we were talking about Kanye and Joe Kennedy in the same week and someone mm-hmm. else, a uh, fan of the show tweeted at us that they started going back and listening to old episodes of Keep It. And they were like, there's <laughs> literally a, one of our first 10 episodes, like a 2018 Keep It, where we are talking about Kanye and Joe Kennedy. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with us? It's yeah. like the, the exact same topics from that episode were the topics of the 2018 episode. Wow. Truly, it's them. It has nothing to do with you guys or, yeah. or us. It's just, it's them. They're consistently yeah. doing stupid shit. So speaking of consistently doing stupid shit, Terry Crews responded to the fact that Gabrielle Union was on Jamel Hill's podcast, Unbothered. That is the name of Jamel's new podcast. Um, and side note, I am bothered that Gabrielle has not been <laughs> on Keep It yet. But How about it? But anyway, uh, she was on talking about America's Got Talent. And, you know, um, the interest in the conversation was being renewed um, just because, you know, all this um, Ellen stuff going on, you know, and all of the current stuff talking about just um, dealing with racial issues in Hollywood in the workplace. And Gabrielle was just like, people hit me up all day long and are like, what's happening? Uh, and she says the only thing she knows for sure is that Terry Crews still gets three checks from NBC. You know, like she pointed out that he definitely was not an ally for her on the show mm-hmm. and with everything that she went through, which as we know was being let go from America's Got Talent for speaking up about um racism that was happening behind the scenes on the show. Uh, He tweeted out, this will be my third public apology to Gabrielle Union. If a fourth is needed, I will continue to apologize (laughs) and push for reconciliation between the world and more importantly, the culture I grew up in. I'm sorry, Gabrielle Union. This man, first of all, Terry Crews's Twitter mentions have become like the hottest new club for racist white people. Oh, you, you cannot you cannot go through this man's mentions without now seeing like the kind of white people who love a good Negro responding like, uh, thank you so much, Terry, you know, for like trying to stop racism and trying to stop divide us, et cetera. Like the kind of white people with dogs as their Twitter avatar or um, <laughs> or a or a poorly lit selfie in their car. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> His, I'll do it a fourth time if I need to. How about you just apologize correctly? Because he hasn't apologized for what he's actually done. He keeps being like, I'm sorry, and I'm trying to be better to you, you know, black people to black people. It's like, do you know what you're apologizing for? I don't think you do because he continues talking about what he thinks black supremacy is, right? Like he tweeted about black supremacy because he thinks that black supremacy is this new idea that is um, black people wanting, you know, to not be shot at by the police and to be treated with dignity as human beings is somehow going to 
put us above white people and we need to worry about, um, I don't know, holding hands across fucking America. <laughs> yeah, that is too bad. Uh, also, just like bringing up the amount of times you've apologized to Gabrielle Union, it's like, are you, I mean, are you trying to throw detractors her away? I mean, just don't do it. I, who cares if it's the third or fourth time or whatever? She's not a historically wrong person so i mean i it just it, it that seems a little um petty to me yeah everything every time he speaks it's always laced with an attitude like the self-righteousness what you've done nothing terry you've literally done absolutely nothing and i will stand by gabrielle until i die because we're both nebraska girls oh is she a nebraska I person i only get her of oh. course yeah she's mm. my she's my only one it's amber ruffin me and gabrielle union that's it I mean, the power of three will set us free, okay? Where's that charmed <laughs> reboot? <laughs> um, the one thing Terry did do is, um, first of all, I have this nigga block, so I like rarely see his tweets. But Terry who? Truly, uh, he gave me a birthday <laughs> gift last week, because on my birthday he tweeted, conquer our own negativity, which is um, an I acronym for, <sighs> for coon. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. <laughs> because people have been calling him that in oh the mentions. And uh, he wrote, conquer our own negativity. <laughs> an acrostic. He made an acrostic poem just so that we would stop calling him a coon. Are you kidding me? The, the Riddler's like, I'm going to step away from that one. Oh, my God. <laughs> The man has too much time. He has too much time. Truly. Can they go back to filming Brooklyn Nine-Nine or whatever? Give them some Corona <laughs> swabs. Get him on set. Please. Can't he just go eat like seven rotisserie chickens and stop <laughs> <Yeah>. tweeting? <laughs> uh, I will never get over the support we used to have for this man. We talk about repeat keep it guests. We talked heavily about him last year and his own Issues, you know. Former game show host. I hate to see it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's the ultimate, the ultimate betrayal for Lewis. <laughs> anyway, that's our show. Thank you to Bob the Drag Queen for joining us. Once again, happy birthday, Lewis Vertel. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I have the, I have a blast on this show with you two. And by the way, thank you, um, Keep It people who have tweeted at me. So appreciated. Listen to some Carpenters. I'm wearing a Carpenter shirt for, can you believe it, the millionth time? I'm shocked also. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I'm also Lewis on a podcast. Vertel. I'm on a podcast called For the Girls about gay men and their divas, and I talk about Karen Carpenter. If you want extra Vertel goodness this week, is she promoting <laughs> another podcast? <laughs> but it's I, I, I I'm think, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I intend to queer. To damn it! Myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week. Keep it is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Malconian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week.